Democrat Laura Curran, the first woman elected county executive on Long Island, breaking a glass ceiling and vowing to break with the past. Laura Curran joining us alive. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Thought-provoking conversations that get right to the point. Observers say her future is bright. Here to tell us more about it, Laura Curran. Now here's Laura Curran. Hello, everyone. So I don't like to complain about the weather because it's very boring to complain about the weather. I have no control over it. But I find myself shivering walking to the studio today in my big floor-length parka, the fur hat on, and I am still cold. But I'm not going to complain. I'm just pointing it out. Um, welcome to Cut to the Chase. It's 4 o'clock. I'm Laura Curran, your hostess, hopefully with the mostess. Um, did you know that you can listen to this show on the go? You don't have to be sitting with your radio. You don't have to be in the car. You can listen to our stream on WABC.com. And you can listen anytime, like when you can't sleep, in the middle of the night, when you're doing your dishes, when you're walking your dog on your 77 WABC mobile app. You can listen to this show. You can listen to all these great shows. In fact, I was just listening to Curtis, and he was kind of dissing the mayor of Patchogue, Paul Pontieri. We're going to hear from him in a little bit. Uh, Paul Pontieri actually is the mayor who has become the poster child of how to do density in the suburbs right. He's popular. He keeps getting elected. Uh, Kathy Hochul seems to have walked into a bit of a buzzsaw with this housing plan. So we're going to get into that with him. We're also going to talk about this Hunger Games that's happening right now. Uh, about a dozen casino companies are vying for three, three downstate licenses to make billions of dollars. But first, we're going to talk tech. And I want to talk about TikTok uh, before we invite our guest. So I want to ask, I want to ask Diego, do you, he's behind the glass here. Do you listen? Do you go on TikTok? Are you a TikTok kind of guy? Uh, I have, I have mixed feelings about it myself. I am not a TikTok guy. My sisters are, they are very big fans of TikTok. And it's not necessarily a youth slash older person thing because I have women who are my age, who are friends, middle-aged women who love TikTok. And I, I actually downloaded the app myself a few years ago when I was county exec. Because a couple of my videos went viral. Yes, I, I like to boast about that. Um, so I downloaded the app, and I found after I stopped being county exec and I had a little time, I went on the app, and the algorithm clearly worked really well because I kept getting fed stuff that I wanted to watch compulsively. I felt like 15 minutes went by. It was maybe two hours, and I'm not exaggerating. It sucks up your time. It's uh, that's exactly. Remember early in the show, earlier before the show, I told you my sister is just bombarded with with a bunch of information. That is exactly what they told me. That it takes up all your time. The algorithm is perfect, and it, it sucks you up. You know, it does. It yeah. does. And and even as I was preparing for this show today, I went on. I never go on because I have stuff I got to do. You know, yeah. I can't just sit there all day. <laughs> uh, and I found. I, I just couldn't stop watching. My husband came in, started talking to me. I was ignoring him. And I shudder to think, and I have teenage kids, uh, if this was around when I was a kid, I probably would have never read a book. It's amazing <laughs> that these kids get good grades in school. I know. I know. And, uh, um, and oh, my God, like I – I I don't necessarily like to like TikTok because um I'm more of a Twitter guy as a, You're a Twitter as we guy. discussed I'm yeah. more of a reading things but I do see them on Twitter and Facebook and I do like them and share them but I don't go out of my way to look for them. Does the, that make sense? It makes absolute sense. Yes. Sometimes what happens to me is someone one of my daughters or one of my friends will send me a TikTok and then I touch it and then it goes to TikTok and then I watch that and it's funny ha ha but then I'm then I'm there. Then I'm sucked in. Then I yeah. it's like I I gotta put this away. <laughs> Which is why I don't have the app. I don't Just have the app. The app. Yeah. I, I, it goes to Safari or Google Chrome or wherever. See that's smart. and then after I watch it, I I exit out of it and then on to the next one that people send me or that I see on Twitter on in the wild Twitter Facebook. Yeah. And that is it. And, and Twitter's bad enough, honestly. Yeah, Twitter's bad a, enough. I, I'm hours and hours hole. on Twitter. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately, well. Uh, it's not just us who want to get rid of the TikTok app, actually. Uh, Biden, just like Trump two and a half years earlier, wants to ban the app if ByteDance, the Chinese parent company that owns TikTok, doesn't sell it, doesn't sell their TikTok stake to an American company. So this is this is actually a bipartisan initiative to get rid of TikTok. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you guys behind the glass there to play those two cuts, one from a Republican who is Raja. I'll, I'll tell you. We'll play them and then I'll tell you who they are. One is a Republican congresswoman, is a Democratic congressman. The second one is a Republican congresswoman. Go. The goal of the CCP has become clear to displace U.S. and other competitors, especially in tomorrow's strategic industries. It's no secret that the Chinese Communist Party wants to replace the United States as a global economic and technological power. Whether it's artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, or smart devices, China wants to dominate these new and emerging technologies. So the first was Rajna Krishnamurti. He's a Democratic congresswoman, congressman from Illinois. The second was Kathy McMorris Rogers, a Republican congresswoman from Washington. We also have Trump and Biden talking about the concerns of, of TikTok. There's actually a DOJ investigation that got underway last week. Uh, federal prosecutors in the FBI are investigating TikTok and, on possible surveillance of journalists in the tech industry. Are the Chinese stealing our data through these kinds of apps? Uh, and this leads to another concern, and that is that China is beating the U.S. in the tech war. Out of uh, 37 categories of tech, China seems to be winning at 40 of them and then gaining 44 of them and then gaining on the others. So to help us understand all of this, I want to introduce uh, my guest, Ashish Agarwal, he is an advisor on antitrust and economic policy for an, for American Edge, which is a bipartisan organization that t- seeks to help people understand the positive aspects of tech. It's not all just bats and doom and gloom, but particularly from an American point of view. Ashish, welcome to the show. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell me about this, these, these 37 categories in tech that China is beating the United States, and what can we do about it? Well, uh, you know, China is, you know, on the verge of investing more in research and development than the United States. They're producing more high-level research that's, you know, cited by, you know, know, people with PhDs than the United States. And, yes, the... um, an Australian Institute came out with this report a little while ago, and it really does shine a good spotlight on this issue. So if you think about things like you know, biotechnology, deployment of you know, 5G and soon 6G technologies, the ability to you know, develop a balloon that can cross the continent without even being noticed by us, apparently, these are all areas where the Chinese are either at parity or even ahead of the United States. Yeah, and it's not just about the balloon. That certainly got a lot of attention, but there's a lot more going on. Um, You mentioned this study by the Australian Strategic uh, Policy Institute, which it's it's funded by the Australian government, and it's a defense and strategic policy think tank. They did this study that found that China is leading the U.S. when it comes to materials, manufacturing tech, energy, biotechnology, sensors, AI, 5G, as you mentioned. Now, we do, the United States still does lead in some uh, sectors. By the way, I'm speaking to Ashish Agarwal, an antitrust expert, and you're listening to Cut to the Chase on 77 WABC. Uh, U.S. is still leading, it's not all terrible, in some sectors such as tech design, advanced microchips, vaccines, quantum computing. But But it appears that the Chinese are gaining on us. A Harvard study finds China could soon be beating us in, say, quantum computing. Well, it's it's a real concern. And let let me just say at the outset that, you know, competition is a healthy thing. So if agreed, if 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 if, you know, 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 China, the society were producing this original work, um, okay, game on. Then it's up to you know the U- U.S. to respond and our companies and, and our government to you know, to invest more in education and, and things like that. But really, that's not what's happening. I mean, the Chinese are you know, they are doing they are doing some you know pro competitive good things, but some of it, quite frankly, is just you know raw theft. There are studies that you know they are stealing intellectual property from around the world to the tune of half a trillion dollars annually. Some of it is things like forced technology transfers. So if you as a company want to do business in China, and of course it's a huge market, you have to sign a licensing deal with a Chinese company where mm. you, you transfer technology to them. And, and, the, and the problem is that there, there really is no free market in China. You know, Every company, every large company has 
you know, a relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. They they ha- they hold board seats on all of these large companies. So the party you're talking with, about, uh, Communist Party members hold board seats on these. Yeah, that's right. Corporations. When, you're, when you're when you're having to do business in mm. China, you really are you know forced to do business with it with with the Chinese Communist Party, and you know they're not you know, just another you know country that we're competing with, like 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 say a Japan or a United Kingdom. You know they have where it's a fair competition. Yeah, competition right. is good. It makes everyone at the top of their game. But you're talking about stealing five hundred billion dollars in intellectual property from other countries. That's not kosher. Um, and I've also heard they have about a hundred million hackers working on this sort of thing. Is that is that something that you've heard as well? Oh, that's exactly right. So when, when I was in government and in, in various roles, this was this was a real concern. You know, regular cyber attacks from you know hostile foreign countries, including you know you know China and Iran. You know, efforts to deploy Chinese technology into the United States and to you know our friends around the world. It could really give them. You know, access to sensitive information. So, you know, for example, just in the last few weeks, a new report came out about how you know Chinese software is embedded at all these you know logistic you know logistically important um, you know ports, mm. so they can tell what um, you know what the supply chain looks like in the United States. That's a lot of valuable information. A lot of valuable information. So, so it's tr- the theft is troubling. The other part that you mentioned uh, that I find very troubling is that party members. Communist Party members sit on these boards, uh, and of course we know China is an authoritarian, totalitarian state, unlike the United States. Uh, and so what are the stakes here? Uh, do you think it's overly paranoid to think that they could be slowly and subtly taking over our minds and our children's minds with TikTok and the algorithm that remains mysterious that we all find, you know, I'm a 55-year-old woman and I find it incredibly seductive. Is does what are the stakes here? Well, you know, it's it's not exactly so so devious and underhanded. I mean, China has been very very open about their you know, stated goal is to supplant the United States as the world's leading power by 2035. This is in their planning documents. They want to set the standards. They want to um, uh, kind of replace the you know, kind of the post-World War II order that we've had with an order that's dominated by you know, China and other authoritarian countries. You know, you, you may have seen that uh, the president of China is going to be visiting Russia next next week. And no, it's, it's a very open threat to kind of the, the, the free democratic order that we've had over the last few decades. I'm Laura Curran. I'm speaking with Ashish Agarwal, who is an antitrust expert with American Edge. And we are talking about how China appears to be winning and, can, and gaining on us even more on the tech, the tech race. So how do we push back? You know, I'm imagining I'm just a regular guy. I'm going to work. I'm feeding my kids. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. This starts to feel a little – makes me feel a little powerless. How can people push back? What can they do to arm themselves with knowledge and maybe not be suckered? Well, well, one thing you could do is go to the AmericanEdgeProject.org. We have a number of uh, you know, studies out there and reports kind of talking about this from a policy standpoint and some of the great quotes that you, um, that you read early, earlier from the, uh, from, from the congressman you know, appear in a short little video. It, it could be a TikTok video where you can see that on a bipartisan basis, yes, uh, policymakers really are kind of laying out this threat. But you know, what I would say is that you know, you as an individual, just 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 get smart and get educated about what's going on. You know, China is the greatest challenge of our time, and probably for the next generation. Um, so things like TikTok videos, look, Justice Department and others have raised you know really real security concerns about that, and it's not just you know, this notion of, 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 of kids spending too much time on social media is this notion yeah, of which is bad enough. children and adults giving, willingly giving their, you know, private information to the Chinese government. And that should be that should concern everyone. You know, there's another point. Uh, we the economy, our economy really relies on tech. Three point three trillion dollars GDP in 2020 from the tech industry, about seven point eight million jobs. I'm I know there's been a lot of shedding of jobs lately, so that number is probably being adjusted. But just in terms of our economic strength, we need to keep our tech se- sector strong and competitive. Now, back to TikTok. So the TikTok CEO is set to testify before Congress this week, I believe on Wednesday. 
going to be facing tough questions from both Republicans and Democrats. Um, what are you expecting the outcome to be from this, especially as it relates to this competitiveness and this this unequal edge that China seems to have? Well, I, th- I think I think what's going to happen is you're going to you, I think I mean, there is a bill pending in Congress right now that would grant the president the authority to you know, ban TikTok. And I suspect that that bill is uh, you know, likely to pass because there are some real security concerns you know, about TikTok. They've tried for two years now to alleviate those concerns. You might remember under President Trump. And by the way, you're right to credit both President Trump and President Biden mm-hmm. with to, you know, try to arrange a deal where you know, TikTok would be sold to Oracle and the servers would all be, you know, you know, housed in the United States or in friendly countries, so you wouldn't have as many concerns about data going to the Chinese government. Well, they haven't been able to work those out over the past two years. Yeah. And from what I hear, it sounds like they aren't really making a lot of progress in ways that are going to satisfy, you know, U.S. security, you know, intelligence apparatus. So it would not surprise me if you see, you know, the end result ends up being full divestment of TikTok. We'll just have to see. We'll have to see. We'll all be staying tuned, putting down the phones and trying to pay attention to the news. Ashish Agarwal, I want to thank you so much for coming on Cut to the Chase. Well, thank you for having me. Have a great rest of the day. You do the same. Uh, I want to hear from you, listeners. Are you addicted to TikTok or any other social media? Do you feel like you're being bamboozled and manipulated by the machine? I want to hear from you. 800 848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Next up, Paul Pontieri. We're going to uh, see if he and Curtis maybe can see eye-to-eye on transit-oriented development and advice for Hochul on her housing plan. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. All right, so uh, before we get to Paul, I just want to say I was speaking with Diego and Ryan and Christian behind the glass. Uh, Three young guys who are smart enough. They're smart consumers. They don't have the TikTok app on their phone. I like that. See, there is hope for young people. Uh, Okay, Paul, Paul Pontieri, mayor of Patchogue. Welcome to Cut to the Chase. It's always a pleasure talking to you. All right, so uh, I don't know if you've been listening to Curtis Sliwa these past couple of days, but he's kind of making fun of Patchogue. Uh, saying, you know, because Kathy Hochul came there to unveil her housing compact uh, to create 800,000 new units of housing throughout the state. And he's like, yeah, people are going to go to Patchogue like they're going to the Hamptons, fat chance. And I'm saying to him, dude, Curtis, you got to go to Patchogue. You're going to love it. The breweries, the restaurants, the art, the theaters. Uh, And you, Paul Pontieri, mayor of Patchogue, for more than 30 years, have become kind of the poster child and your village has become the poster village out there in Suffolk County of how to do density with community buy-in and how to do it right. Um, and that's, that's not easy in the suburbs. You accomplish something that no one really could do that well before. And we've seen other uh, mayors in Farmingdale, Rockville Center, Westbury, other places that have kind of copied what you've done getting that local buy-in, being persistent in the face of the NIMBY folks, and having a proven record. Uh, now, first of all, congratulations on that. And, and what, does it feel, what does it feel like to be the poster child of transit-oriented development done right on Long Island? Well, you know, it's funny. I took this job 20-odd years ago and was a trustee for 10 years. So I had that 30 years in. Born and raised in Patchogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to what it was like when I grew up, and it was about people, about young families moving into the community and being part of the community. And I think that that's what you got to look at. What do you want to be? You want to be a community of families. You want, And the only way you're going to have families is to put housing in place that they can afford to come in at the beginning and maybe then buy a home over time. Um, and we started building housing. We didn't, we didn't have – you know, these crazy charrettes that they have where somebody says, I want an old Navy, I want a Gap, I want a – those things come with success. Right. Success. Right. Yeah, the complaint is, why don't we get a Starbucks? It's not fair. We should have a Trader Joe's. It doesn't just happen. They come where there are people who will go to those places. Now, Governor Hochul uh, earlier la- this month came to Patchogue to unveil – to really tout her housing compact and – 
you know, she said that local leaders are driving this process, which is important because you do need the local leaders to drive this process. But I feel like she walked into a bit of a buzzsaw, uh, potentially unknowingly. And the, and the, the pushback on Long Island and in some of the other suburbs as well, uh, specifically to the part of the compact that would take away local zoning control from the supervisors and from mayors like you, uh, it, there were a lot of people out there angry, a lot of supervisors and mayors, Republican and Democrat, uniting, kind of like I was talking earlier in the hour, like Biden and Trump uniting over banning TikTok, uniting right. against this housing compact. And I, I, I almost felt like I was watching a horror movie when she was announcing this, you know, and, and, and you, you're like, no, don't go in the house because I know Long Island and I know the sensitivity to local control. You really can't mess with that. And you can have success with density. I am a big fan of transit-oriented development. You know, I I think we should have more affordable housing. I think we should have transit-oriented. I think we should have walkable communities like you've done in in Patchogue. But you have to go with the grassroots. You have to start local. It takes time. It takes hand-holding. Um, and that the resentment about this being imposed from Albany, from on high, is is visceral. Uh, did you have a chance to to give her advice, to say anything like well, that to her, and and was she receptive to it? What I said to her at, at, towards the end of it is, I said, "Listen, I don't want to be an adversary. No, I want me neither. We need to partner in these things. We need to be work together to make them happen. You know, one of my thoughts was as, as we talked about transit um, oriented developments. If I was in her shoes, you've got the South Shore Line." Patrick to Mont, you know, to Montauk, mm-hmm. Montauk. You got Hicksville out to Ronkonkoma, and you got what goes to Port Jefferson. If if they did surveys, and you've been on the train enough times to look out the window and look at junkyards and vacant buildings and all the properties, the vacant properties. Oh yeah, world. how that space it, could be redone to be so amazing yeah. and, and helpful and useful and beautiful. Survey that. Go back to those communities and say, listen, you have. Three acres of property right along the train station. Some of it's contaminated. We'll work with the DEC with you. And if we estimate on that property taking care of parking by your zoning code, mm-hmm. you can build 100 units. We'll give you enough money for that 100 units. We'll give you money for the 100 units in, in the sense that so you can build 25% of it is affordable. So you're not forcing affordable housing down their throat, what you're saying to them is we're going to partner with you to build that. We'll work with the DEC if the properties, but take those properties that in every one of these communities along the the railroad, there are properties that are old warehouses and, you know, industrial properties. Yeah, that can be re and, and, and allow the community to be, to be part of that visioning. Exactly. But offer the funding necessary, and yeah. Well, speaking talk- of funding, uh, it, it's at, it, so I should point out uh, that the legislature, both the Senate and the Assembly, have pushed back against this in their one house budget bills. The governor has yeah. put this housing compact actually in her budget, so it's going to be was- voted on with the whole the whole Michigas of the whole budget. Whereas it might make sense to have this be a standalone piece of legislation that legislators could vote on outside of school funding and emergency funding and all of the other stuff that's in the budget. I, I went to a New York conference of mayors. Yeah. On their executive board. And I spoke a couple of times during it. And my first comment was, is the fact that it's in a budget bill. Right. It's in a budget bill that on one side has $750 million worth of school aid. And they, on the other side, has a housing compact. They're, they're saying to those legislators, you got to pick, pal. Yeah, because every legislator – and by the way, I'm speaking with Mayor of Patchogue, Paul Pontieri, on 77 WABC. I'm Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase. You know, there's 10% increase in budget in uh, school spending. Of course, legislators want to take credit for that. They don't want to not – they want to don't want to vote against it. So it puts them in a difficult position. You're, you're asking them – to go against the leadership in the municipalities for the sake of the schools, which is, you know, and I understand $750 million is a lot of money. Yeah. 
But politically, it puts them in a real bind. The other thing that's in this housing compact is money for infrastructure to help downtowns come about, Uh, you know, whether it's sewage or drainage or whatever infrastructure they need. Uh, To me, it seems like it's nowhere near enough. Uh, It's $250 million in infrastructure money. If you just want to put sewers in the ground around Hempstead Harbor in Nassau County, that would be twice that. It would be... $500 $500 million. So that money statewide is going to be spent before you can even blink an eye. It, you know, it's almost insulting that they, they put that in like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, if they said a maximum of 250 could be asked for, that's one is one number. But to say that's the total from right. to one. And, you know, we live on Long Island where there's sewage issues, drainage issues. We flood storms they're getting worse and you know that's just long island think about the whole entire state and all of the infrastructure needs around around the whole area you know the, the other thing too is i i didn't say this to her but I, i've said it publicly is that it's one percent upstate and three percent downstate on long island you know if you go 25 miles north of the bronx you got more cows than people yeah you go 25 miles East of Queens, you have more cars than people. I mean, that's true. If you think about it, you know, yeah. where do you have and they say, well, people want to live on. Oh, people who have jobs in the city will go to those places where they can afford to live. And now I've noticed that the governor is really pushing back against the pushback. She's just come out with a list of. Uh, last week with a list of 100 organizations that support her housing compact. I did not see a lot of politicians, uh, local elected officials, zoning folks, villages, nope. uh, supervisors of towns, mayors of villages on that list. Uh, and, and my other concern is politically. So, you know, no secret, I'm a Democrat. I, I'm concerned that Republicans will be running against Democrats on this issue even if they disagree with the governor, that it's going to hurt Democrats on Long Island even more than they've been hurt, you know, after bail reform. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm the same. I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're not looking to pile on here. This is just the fact. No, it is. It is. And, you know, I have a great zoning board and I got a great planning board. Take what we do and look at how we do it. Don't think that you're going to get 10 people up in Albany. That, that lives someplace between, you know, Hudson Valley and Cayuga County. And they're going to they're gonna determine what's right for Patchogue or yeah, Patchogue. And that's that's what what I hear. Yeah. Well, it'll be so interesting to see what happens. Now you got the legislature pushing back, both the, the Democratic-led Assembly and Democratic-led Senate. You've got local officials pushing back. Uh, and I think her intention was good. We do need more housing uh, we do need more affordability. I love a walkable downtown. I don't like, even though I live yeah. in the suburbs, I don't like to have to take my car everywhere. Um, yeah. I love taking the train. I'm big into public transportation. So I'm all for these. And, and when I was county exec, I would do everything I could to support transit-oriented development, you know, in and, and my capacity. Uh, so I, I, I think her intention is good. I just think it was a a clumsy way to go about it. And I feel bad saying that. Because I do want the the governor to succeed, but I just I gotta call it like I see it. Well, you know, I, I said to to uh, something to Kevin Law, and we were just talking yeah. this thing. So Kevin Law, if you don't know, he used to run the Long Island Association, which is the biggest okay. business organization on Long Island. And I think he runs the REDC now up in. Yes, up in that's right, the Economic Development Corporation. That's right. But but I I said to him, I said, you know. And we have this DRI, the Downtown Redevelopment Initiatives, or whatever the hell it is, and they, they get ten million dollars. What? Yeah. They so this is da- this is da- uh, towns uh, and villages get a million dollars if they have a good plan for their ta- their downtown. And this was done under the former governor Cuomo. But go yeah. ahead. It, it was t- ten million dollars. I think the B- Village of Amityville is working with it now. Why don't they have a housing revitalization initiative and? Give communities money. For you know, housing. you know. So you're talking about like more of a carrot and less less of a stick, which I think oh, yeah. makes sense. But I had a conversation with some of those regional plan folks, and they said, you know, the carrot's not really working. Maybe we need to use more of a stick, and and you know, maybe that is a reason why this came about. 
because what, what, all right, we're, if you're not going to do it yourselves, we're just going to take it. We'll take all the zoning control away from you. And I, and I wonder whether you know, the regional planning association and the city and those organizations have gotten carrots. In other words, they're going to be the ones that are going to control us, and that's what they want us to control. Now that you say it that way, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as just as Americans, we bristle at that kind of control. We like our local elected officials. Sure, everybody yeah. likes to complain about politicians, but we do like our local elected officials. That's why they they win all the time. Uh, exactly. And you know, you don't want to mess with that. You know, it's home rule. Taking home rule away from communities. Why? Why have a village? Why have a community? If we can't make decisions on what's right for our community, you know, we've had almost eight hundred million dollars worth of new construction in the village in the last fifteen, sixteen years, and probably eighty to ninety million dollars worth of grants, federal, local. You know, we've yeah. So we've you're built- able to cobble together, working with developers, working with grants. Working with the state, working with the federal government, you're able to cobble together the resources you need to bring this about. And it's not easy. I mean, it's a real uh, – it's almost like a, a house of cards. You need all of these pieces in a specific place or the whole thing falls apart. But that's something that you could do. You, you, you create the story of who you are and how you're going to get there. Yeah. It, it just doesn't happen. You know, um, we've got – uh, we're going to be upgrading our sewer plant. We have one of the few sewer plants on the South Shore in Suffolk County, mm. and we're going from eight hundred thousand gallons to a million two. We went to the REDC, and what we said is we want to add four hundred thousand gallons, two hundred thousand that will stay in the village, and two hundred thousand that we can go east or west, East Patrick's, Bellport, Sable, Bayport. So the story is: give us the money, and we'll use it for the greater betterment. Of, of the entire community. And then we get another three. So I needed 12 million. So now we get another 3.5 from uh So we have the money we need. Yeah. But this, it's about the story that you tell. And when I say a story, what you're going to do with it and how you're going to do it and how you're going to make a better community out of it. Right. And each, each, each locality has its own story that it wants to write. And you talk about sewage and people say, Oh, sewage, it's so boring. Actually, if you don't have functioning sewage, you don't have a society, you don't have a community, everybody's going to get cholera and die, and it's terrible. So it's really important. And when you are doing this one-size-fits-all for all the communities, well, we know there's a lot of communities that don't have sewers, or or they are built on marshland, and if you build density on them, everything will crumble into the sea. You know, there's all these nuances for every community, and that's why the community buy-in is so important. Uh, and, you know, what? before I let you go, Paul Pontieri, yeah. mayor of Patchogue, which is the poster village of transit-oriented development done right, um, what would be your parting words of advice for the governor if you had her ear to say to, – to go back to the drawing board on this? To, to sit down and talk to the communities. If, you, if you're talking about transit-oriented developments – Take a look at what's along these rail lines because there's properties available, whether it's MTA properties, state-owned properties, privately yeah. owned properties that need to be developed that are ruining communities. And anyone who what? takes the train knows exactly what you're talking about. You know, get off TikTok, yeah. look out the window, and you can see these spaces that can be redone and cobbled together and made into something new and beautiful and attractive. And not for nothing, it'll be good for the economy on Long Island as well. Paul Pontieri, go ahead. Yes, last word. I've said identify them, support them, show people how to use them, and it'll work. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, you did a tour with me back when I was a county legislator. Yeah. I was I was yeah. really impressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that Curtis Lewa does a similar tour because I think he would be very impressed, and he's probably going to want to buy one of those cute apartments out there when he sees it. Real quick, remind Curtis. Yeah. When we had – Back with the Marcelo Lucero murder in 2008. Yes. He was in that, He I, and his red, red Beret guys were wandering around town acting like they knew what they were doing. <laughs> I will absolutely tell him. Paul, thank you so much for joining you Cut to the it. Chase. I look forward to seeing you. you. Come out and see me. We'll have lunch and wander around together. Sounds good. Let's hit the breweries. You got it, pal. Love it. In case you missed any of the show today, you can find Cut to the Chase as a podcast on WABCRadio.com. 
along with all of the other wonderful shows here on 77 WABC. I'm going to talk to you uh, after the break, 800-848-9222. Are you a slave to TikTok or is Twitter your thing? Uh, and after the break, we're also going to talk to reporter Annie McDonough from City and State on the Hunger Games of the Casino Downstate Licenses. Do you want a casino in your backyard? Is that another kind of NIMBY? Join us after the break. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Cut to the chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am Laura Curran. And are you a betting kind of person? We were talking about TikTok addiction. But there actually, there was a big story in Newsday today about uh, widening gambling addiction. Uh, nationwide, it's estimated that about 2% of adults have a gambling addiction and college students have a bigger gambling addiction. A lot of it is thanks to the casino in your back pocket, your cell phone, mobile, mobile devices, being able, uh, to do sports betting. So, uh, we're going to talk about actually brick and mortar gambling and casinos over the next couple of minutes with my guest, uh, city and state reporter, Annie McDonough. Annie, welcome to Cut to the Chase. While we get Annie on the line, um, I wanted to let you, dear listener, know that there are 12 big casino companies working with developers and other organizations to bid. So there's 12 of these groups bidding on what will be three casino licenses in downstate. So there are the upstate casino licenses. There are four of them. In a couple of years, we'll have three down here. Um, and someone who's been covering this and did a whole – there was a whole issue of city and state devoted to this Hunger Games of casinos. And Annie McDonough had a few of those stories in there. Annie, welcome to Cut to the Chase. I think we got you now. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, these if, what these downstate casinos could generate $2 billion a year in revenue. Uh, that's a lot of money. And so we see these companies like Wins, Bally, Sands, uh, MGM, all of these spending millions of dollars to have the opportunity to bid for these three downstate licenses. Do you see it as a bit of a Hunger Games and they're all just trying to spend as much money and paper, paper the town as much as they can to win these licenses? Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. Um, I think, you know, it is. A, a bet for each of these companies. There are about 12 uh, confirmed or rumored uh, proposals in the works. And as you say, there are only three downstate licenses. Two of those, um, you know, insiders expect to go to two existing racinos. So um, there's Right. So that's really Yonkers, that a- Yonkers and Aqueduct. That's right. That's right. That's right. So those um, would have fewer hoops to jump through, I, I believe, um, to be able to expand into uh, full casinos. So we might be talking about really one downstate license that all these uh, competitors are vying for. Uh, they're spending a lot, hoping that they're going to get a big payoff. And, and we've got um, a, a long but hopefully exciting process to see how that plays out. Well, there's certainly a lot of money to be made, as I mentioned, about $2, million, $2 billion a year in revenue. Um, and we look at the money that's being made in mobile sports betting with its first year, uh, $16 billion with a B wagered. That's $706 million in taxes and uh, more than was expected. So, you know, by the way, I'm speaking with Annie McDonough, a reporter from City and State, uh, talking about the downstate Hunger Games of casinos. Are you hearing from communities? For instance, in Midtown Manhattan, there are five potential bids just within walking distance of each other in Midtown Manhattan. What kind of pushback are communities giving these projects? Yeah, so we are sort of at the beginning phase of that, it feels like, where we are starting to see some community boards, some individual groups uh, speak up. In Manhattan alone, um, three community boards have approved resolutions that oppose either a casino 
in their specific uh, area or a specific proposal that's already come out so far. So they've been citing concerns like uh, risk of increased crime, uh, a risk of problem gambling, as you mentioned, uh, higher congestion and traffic, as well as just the lost opportunity to use some of uh, this vacant space for other purposes like housing or green space. Several of these bids include housing and green space, um, trying to sort of already um, address those concerns. But but certainly we've seen some pushback already and we're likely to see a lot more. Yeah, and that's why you see $7.2 million being spent on lobbyists in the past 14 months. Uh, that uh, that $7.2 million, by the way, does not include PR, political consultants, strategizing, uh, advertising, all of that. Uh you have Steve Cohen, actually. So there's a potential bid up by City Field at Willits Point in Queens. So Steve Cohen has reportedly uh, hired seven lobbying firms. But he's also not forgetting the community piece. He's had visioning workshops with as many as a 1,000 people from the community taking part. That's right. That's right. And that's um, Politico reported that a few weeks back, just how much has been um, spent on lobbying, again, not including the, the other kinds of figures like uh, consulting and PR. Um, but you do get, get a sense from these um, these developers and, and gambling companies that they're just they're aware of just how important the community approval aspect is to this process. Um, those Queen's visioning sen- sessions that you mentioned um one person compared those uh, to me as as the opposite of what we saw happen with HQ2, where there really wasn't. Yeah, um, this is the Amazon thing that went belly up in Long Island City. That's right. That's right. And and there wasn't that kind of community outreach. Um, the CEO of the Queen's Chamber of Commerce, uh, Tom Greck, said that this that what Steve Cohen is doing is the opposite of HQ2. Take it with a grain of salt, um, but but well, you know it is. You know it, it, that that was such a, a an utter failure losing that uh, Amazon headquarters that broke my heart because as county exec in Long Island, I knew we were going to get a lot of jobs, a lot of mm-hmm. people coming to live on Long Island. You know, it would be really good for our economy, good for economic development. So, if something good <laughs> can come out of it, uh, and people have learned their lessons that you do have to engage with the community, that's 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 not maybe there's a silver lining there. Right. Right. So, uh, Annie McDonough from City and State, I want to thank you so much. Uh, if you want to know more about these, these Hunger Games and all of the different projects, so we, there's one out in, in Nassau County, Las Vegas Sands is working with the community hard. They've hired up all the uh, consultants out on Long Island to get that one approved. We'll see what happens there. But there are, as I said, Twelve of them. Um, we talk. I talk about that on my podcast, which comes up tomorrow on Cut to the Chase Extra, with Annie McDonough and with Justin Sondell, a freelance reporter who also contributed to the city and state issue all about casinos. So, Annie, I want to thank you so much for joining me. And uh, everyone, download that podcast. I think you'll find it very interesting, and you'll see if there's one slated potentially for your community. Thanks very much. You got it. All right. So. Uh, We're going to take a short break. I'm going to be back with your calls. TikTok, housing, casinos. We'll talk about it all on Cut to the Chase after the break. Cut to the Chase. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Cut to the Chase. Balance of nature, changing the world one life at a time. I will continue to take this balance of nature. I love it. And um, if it keeps me going, then I'm all for it. (laughs) We are healthy because we take balance of nature. We feel energetic. I get up just before 7 o'clock every morning. We are enjoying health. And uh, I tell everybody about it. I am a pastor. God wants for us to be healthy and take care of our bodies. Start your journey to better health with Balance of Nature. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com to get 35% off your first preferred order. That's 1-800-246-8751. Go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751 and get this special offer by using discount code WABC. 
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Oh, I interrupted that nice man. Sorry, guy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. It's Laura Curran on Talk Radio WABC. The number is 800-848-9222, 848-WABC. So we had someone who wanted to talk about TikTok, but then she she dropped, I think, because she had to go back to her phone. But that's okay. Um, I also wanted to let you know, starting at 5 p.m. when we wrap up here, it's Positively Ernie and Patricia with Ernie Anastos and Patricia Stark to talk your to start your week with something positive, which is really nice, actually. I'm looking forward to listening to that myself. Uh, in the meantime, we have Judith, who wants to talk about housing and business. Judith, uh, what's on your mind? Hi, Laura. Thanks for taking my call. Where are you calling well, from? Seriously. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Oh, very I'm nice. From Brooklyn. <laughs> so um, something bothers me very much, and I also want to mention something else, if I may. Yeah. Governor, Governor Kathy Hoko, whatever, she's enforcing a toll in midtown Manhattan, I think, from 60th Street down or up to 60th, something like that. Congestion and pricing, will, yeah. Laura, Laura, this will negatively affect Businesses, restaurants, medical offices, deliveries, truck drivers, taxis, Ubers, blah, 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 on and on. And this is punishing them to the tune of every day approximately like $24 a day because they want to raise money for the MTA. I don't know how you feel about it, but I am just livid because this is not right. It's just not. And plus, Laura, I'm going to be very open with you. You're a Democrat. You're a Democrat. And my impression of your Democratic Party is, it's been hijacked by insane people with crazy agendas. That's how I feel. You know, uh, Judith, I got to tell you, I hear especially about this issue, uh, congestion pricing from because I live on Long Island, but I'm on the same landmass as you in Brooklyn. I'm just down the road a piece, but the same, you know, so we got to cross those bridges and tunnels, too. And people are not happy about this. It costs a lot to live here. They see this as another tax. It's not like they want to drive in the city for fun. I mean, sometimes you do to go to the show or go to a restaurant or something like that. But usually it's because you have to drive because for whatever reason, the train's not an option for you. Um, And, you know, you talk about it's a Democratic thing, but you also have the Democratic governor of New Jersey talking against it. You have some Democratic legislators talking against it. And it kind of reminds me of the the housing thing we were talking about earlier, where is this an unforced error that's actually going to hurt Democrats across the board? But then on the other hand, the MTA needs money. So what do you do? Uh, it, it's it's a real pickle. Um, I just know as a Long Islander, this is not something that I could support. I think it's it already costs so much to live here and that this is another tax. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that you're punishing the, the all these businesses and everything. That's just not right. It's like highway robbery, like legal highway robbery, whatever you want to call it. What yeah. can be done, Laura? What can we do? What can be done, Laura? And you think about these these businesses that are just coming back from COVID. You know, they lost a lot of revenue. The, the city's coming back. You want to encourage people to come. I mean, what I would do is talk to your local elected official, whether it's your city council person, your state legislator, your state assembly person, state senator, whoever it is, and let them know how you feel. Uh, remember, you're the boss here. You're at the top of the org chart. If you let your voice heard, it can have an influence. So that's what I would do. I feel like we're all a bunch of frogs sitting in this <laughs> pot of water and we're being boiled one degree at a time and not realizing it. We have nothing to say. We have nothing to do. Uh, the insane people are running the show. Uh, not you, by the way, Laura. You're pretty insane. You're pretty sane. <laughs> but like even Carl Hasties and Cousins, whatever, to me, they're just outrageous. They're crazy. But Governor Hochul, too. Governor Hochul, too. I'm sorry. I blame her a lot. And I'm- unfortunately, you have a lot of people choosing to leave. Long Island and leave New York for sunnier and cheaper climbs. So anyway, I I love it here. I believe in this place, and I think we need to right the ship, have more sensible government. 
Judith, I want to thank you so much for your call. It was really good to talk to you. Please call again. All right, John, Staten Island, give it to me. What do you got? Hey there, Laura. I was going to talk about housing, but just one quick uh, momentum with the casinos. Yeah. You have all these billion-dollar companies that want to spread so much money. You know what? We, in Long Island, uh, I'm in Staten Island, but I'm going to be moving to Long Island. Where? Uh, I kind of hang out on the East End. And, you know, we have two two Indians, Mastics and the Shinnecocks. Why not give the people who are privileged and indigenously to live there, give them the opportunity to have a casino where uh, I don't know what Cuomo did when he was governor. I know all I know is he he messed up uh, the Mastic Indians about selling taxes uh, on his cigarettes and messed them up really bad. How about the Democrat and Republicans give the American Indians a chance at that casino instead of in Manhattan with all the hip-hop stars trying to make billions of dollars off of everybody's back. Yeah, that's so right. Jay-Z is involved in one, his Rock Nation is involved in one of the Times Square um, in one of the Times Square bids. Well, actually, it's interesting that you mention the uh, Native Americans because Chickasaw Nation is actually involved in the Coney Island proposal. It's not out on Long Island, but they're working with Thor Equities, Saratoga Casino Holdings, and Legends Global Planning. You know, these are such big consortiums. But, but you know, Chickasaw Nation is involved there. But the thing is, uh, going back to this Long Island project, what do you want to build affordable housing, which is called rent, which is not housing because you're putting people there, but the taxpayers got to pay for people who can't pay for the rent. But anyway, instead of Long Island, Hochul should worry about put, moving uh, all these housings upstate. You, you're talking about ten, twenty thousand an acre property, which we'll have to pay for to put the housing up in Long Island. When you could go upstate or the uh, Metro North Side and pay a thousand an acre, and cost a lot less money for the taxpayers. You know, John, I hear that from a lot of folks on Long Island who are saying we have all this space upstate. They need people. They need economic revenue. They need uh, some action up there. Why not? Why not incentivize upstate? It's a good thought. Thanks for calling, John. The trains run up there. You have the Metro North all along the the corridor that goes up toward uh, Albany, and you, you have from Buffalo to Utica, which is there's a trains over there. Put them up there a thousand acres. Don't let the developers make fifty, hundred thousand grand, which they're going to have to pay for, which is actually we pay for. For them to put up stuff when you go up there and pay for a thousand. I mean, all you have upstate is shootings and murders and robberies. Thank you, John. We got to cut it there. Please call back. And thank you, listeners, for joining us here on 77 WABC for Cut to the Chase. Stay right here for Positively Ernie and Patricia. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.